following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. All right, let's go ahead and uh, make our way back to our seats. Good morning, everyone. Um, it is a pleasure to be here this morning with you all. Uh, I really appreciate all your prayers uh, while we were out and sick. Thankfully, we've recovered now, and we're excited to be back here this morning with you. Um, let's go ahead and pray as we get ready to dive into God's word. Dear Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. God, I recognize, Lord, that unless your spirit is speaking to our hearts and applying the word, Lord, we, we're incapable of living out all that you call us to live. I pray, God, that you work in my heart and empower me by your spirit and work in the hearts of your people to receive your word and live it out. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 8, verses 8 through 20 is what we'll be going through this morning. Right. We'll read now together God's word. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom, again, I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This morning in our passage, Paul will plead with the Galatian church against apostasy. Apostasy is when a Christian abandons their faith. Maybe some of you may have heard of someone, maybe a co-worker or maybe an online apologist or famous pastor who once professed faith in Jesus and found out later that they've renounced their faith and have returned to their previous life of unbelief. For you, maybe it was a close friend or a family member. Maybe you're here this morning and you're currently are having doubts about 
the Christian faith and are being tempted to abandon Christ. This morning, I will not explore the intellectual merits and arguments of how and why Christianity is true, although there are many. Instead, I will share how Christians who believe in the existence of God, who believe in the historical person of Jesus Christ, and even in the gospel, can apostatize from the faith. And I will also give three remedies found in this text to guard against such apostasy. Apostasy enters the heart of a Christian through many different ways, but in the case of the Galatian church, it enters through some false teachers called the Judaizers. The Judaizers taught the Galatians that in order to be saved, they needed to also observe the Mosaic law in addition to the gospel. It was faith in Jesus plus obedience to the law that made someone justified with God. To be justified or justification is a theological word that simply means to be made right with God. And the Galatians believed the Judaizers and were led astray. The Galatians are led astray away from the gospel and brought back to what Paul will call the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world. This Paul wrote to them to warn them of their apostasy. But God also preserved this word for us now to warn us of our own propensity to apostatize. You see, all of us are capable, if not by the grace of God, to be led astray by some false teachers preaching to us a false gospel, and our heart can be prone to go astray. Apostasy is almost never sudden. It is deceptive as the current of the ocean. When I was a young boy, my father would take my brother and I out to the beach, and my, my dad would always tell me to not trust the ocean, que es traicionera, which means it will betray you. Um, I would never listen, and oftentimes one of my favorite things to do was to lay back on the current of the ocean and stare at the sky and do that for a little while as the water would soothe me and carry me away. And it would not be long before I would look up and see my dad is very far away at the beach. And when I would spot my dad, I would look up and he would see me and he would be obviously upset. And he would say, get back over here. Now, if I'm close to the shore, it's easier for me to walk back to my father. But if I'm deeper in the ocean, which has happened a lot, my father would have to come out and get me. And here, Paul, like a father to his children, to the Galatian church, is telling them, you're too far away, get back now. Here, Paul will give three antidotes against apostasy. Number one, he'll be honest about the current state of their souls. In passages verse 8 through 11, this morning he will demonstrate to the Galatians the true reality of their soul and have them be honest where they are right now currently spiritually. Number two, he will remind them of their past zeal for Paul, for himself, and the gospel. And he will look back to their past days when they were truly on fire for Jesus and contrast their past to now. And finally, he will 
warn them of their future if they proceed down the path that they are on. If you are struggling with apostasy this morning, God is trying to show you the reality of your current state, remind you of your past zeal for when for him and warn you of the future state of your soul. Number one, be honest where you are spiritually. Paul does not sugarcoat the current state of their souls. Paul does not describe their apostasy as a mistake. He does not reconcile the current way in which they're living with the gospel and says you can have both, a little bit here, a little bit there. He warns them that obedience to the Mosaic law as a means for justification is slavery. And it is the same slavery they were under previously when they did not know God. In what sense? It's slavery in two ways. One, it's, a, it's the abandonment of the only gospel that brings them into freedom and sonship to God. And number two, it is slavery because Jewish legalism will have the same control and rule over their lives as Gentile paganism once did. In turning to the Judaizers' false teaching, they abandon the only gospel that sets them free. Read with me. The passage, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world, whose slaves you want to be once more? The Judaizers are promising that in order to be truly free from God's wrath, they should adhere to the Jewish laws, and this is forsaking the gospel once proclaimed to them by Paul. But this is not only forsaking Paul and his message, but more importantly, it is a turning back, a forsaking of the God who delivered that message to them initially. The God they knew in Christ and the God who knows them. So Paul is asking them, how can you turn back from the God who has freed you from slavery? If they accept the Mosaic law, in order to be made right with God, they are foregoing their knowledge of the true God and his son revealed to them in the gospel. That is, that God sent his son so that through him we would be justified with God. And receiving justification, we receive sonship. If we forsake the doctrine of justification by faith alone, we return to slavery. This is his argument in verse 3 and in verses 8 and 9. Brothers, I ask you this morning, is there something today in your life leading you to forsake the God you know in Jesus, the God who knows you and loves you and sent his son in order to make you right with him? Is there false teaching, preaching to your soul, leading you to go astray? Not only from the doctrine of justification by faith alone, but from the God who has given you the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Paul cautions them that both Gentile paganism and Jewish legalism both submit a person under slavery because they are controlled and ruled over them. Read verse 10. It says here, <clears throat> You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul calls these masters in verse 9 the elementary principles of this world. What are the elementary principles of this world? Well, they can be two things. One 
They are the way the world operates apart from God and his rule. And two, demons. It can be demonic rulers and forces that govern the world that are in rebellion against God. They want to control their lives and keep them enslaved. He is showing how Jewish legalism has them observing days, months, seasons, and years, just as they did in Gentile paganism. This is why it's so easy for them to do this, because it's reminiscent of what they used to do in the past. You may not be a Christian here, but verse 8 through 11 shows us that if you have not received the free gift of justification by faith in Jesus, you are a slave to an idol. You are worshiping something. God has created human beings in such a way that we were created to worship him, but because of sin, we do not worship him, but instead worship other things made by him. There are only two alternatives for human beings. Number one, to either worship the true God or to worship a false God, an idol. By idols, I do not mean little statues that you put in your closet to worship, although they definitely can mean that. But more so, what I'm referring to is the idols that you can create in your heart. What is an idol? It is a good thing made into an ultimate thing. It is whatever you put in the place of God. If you do not have God as the ultimate purpose of your life, you will put something else in there. You want to find your idol? Look at what is in the center of your heart. Look how it controls you. And uh, Timothy Keller gives us four ways in which we can identify our idols. And you can read more about this in his book, Counterfeit Gods, um, which I read as a new Christian, and it was very beneficial and helpful to my soul. Number one, look at your imagination. Where do your thoughts effortlessly go? What scenarios does your mind create? What do you constantly dream about to bring you joy, peace, or comfort? Number two, look at what you spend your money on. Jesus tells you in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, that where our treasure is, that is where our hearts will also be. Where does most of your money go? What do you overspend on? Number three, what is your functional savior? A good way to find out what your functional savior is is how you respond to unanswered prayers and unfulfilled expectations. If you don't get what you ask for and it bums you out but you keep it moving, that something probably isn't your functional savior. However, if you pray for something and don't get it, and it leads you to despair or great anger, you may have found what your idol is. And lastly, look at your uncontrolled emotions. Keller, here's a Keller quote, which you know, my sermon will probably have a lot of. <laughs> look at your most uncontrollable emotions. Just as the fisherman looking for a fish knows to go where the water is roiling, Look for your idols at the bottom of your most painful emotions, especially those that never seem to lift and that drive you to do the things that you know are wrong. If you are angry, ask, is there something here too important to me, something I must have at all costs? Do the same thing with strong fear and despair and guilt. Ask yourself, am I so scared 
because something in my life is being threatened that I think is a necessity when it is not? Am I so down on myself because I have lost or failed at something that I think is a necessity when it is not? When you ask questions like that, when you pull your emotions up by their roots, as it were, you will often find your idols clinging to them. Christian, is there an idol in your life leading you astray from God? What idols are controlling you today? What idols are controlling your days, months, seasons, and years? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, John warns in his, his letter, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. They will cause you to abandon your God and have you enslaved to an idol that by nature is not God. Idols are not easily torn down. You can't just tear them down. Your heart will create a new one. They must be replaced with the God of the Bible and Christ. Number two, the second antidote that Paul gives the Galatians against apostasy is to remember their past zeal for the gospel. Another antidote that against apostasy that Paul will employ is remember your past zeal that you once had for the gospels for the gospel brothers i entreat you become as i am for i also have become as you are you did me no wrong you know it was because of a bodily ailment that i preached the gospel to you at first and though my condition was a trial to you you did not scorn or despise me but received me as an angel of god as christ jesus what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and have given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul will remind them of their past zeal for God and the gospel of Jesus by recounting them two things. Their initial reception of Paul and his message in the past and contrast it with their response to his message now. Verses 12 to 15, Paul recounts to, the, to them their original reception of him and his message. We'll look at three things. They received this message despite of Paul's bodily ailments. Number two, they received Paul and his message as Christ Jesus himself. And number three, their great generosity to Paul and to the ministry. Number one, they received this message despite of Paul's bodily ailments. Look at 12 and 13. It says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. When Paul met with them, it was due to a bodily ailment. We're not told exactly what ailment Paul may have been suffering, but some suggest it is some sort of eye difficulties or malaria or maybe even epilepsy. Whatever it was, they did not use his difficult situation to despise the gospel or the message. They saw past his present circumstances and received his message. Christian on the verge of apostasy, remember when Jesus came to you. Think back, who preached the gospel to you? What drew you to him originally? Was it the people? Or was it God working through those people in order to bring you near? 
the Galatians, were able to get past the visible bodily ailments of Paul because they knew the message he preached came from the invisible God. They received it in faith. They did not see Paul's bodily ailments as an occasion to scorn him or despise him, but instead they received the gospel in faith. It is the same for the Christian. When he first heard the gospel of Jesus, we were able to get past the inconsistencies of the minister. Maybe we got past the historical failings of the Christian church because we knew from whom the message came, not from the broken sinner in front of us, but from Christ Jesus himself. But it is true that the apostate is probably one of the biggest critics of the church's visible bodily ailments. He will find the church's sins and weaknesses and inconsistencies as an occasion to despise or scorn the gospel of Christ. If you find yourself criticizing the church, criticizing your pastors, criticizing ministers it is, and, and people in his body, it is probably that you are being led astray from the gospel of Christ. Do not use the failings and shortcomings and inconsistencies of his people to be a reason to reject the God of the Bible and his gospel. They received Paul and his message as Jesus Christ himself. Look at verse 14. It says, But receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. The words Paul declared were to them the words of Christ. Christian, is that you today? When you read your Bible, do you receive them as the words of Christ Jesus himself? Do you open your Bibles with the anticipation and the expectation to hear the word of the Lord? Or do you open up your Bible merely as a moral checklist? This is your soul. Does your soul thirst for the words of Christ as it once did? Or is your soul drinking from another fountain currently? Is this, if this is you, find someone here and be honest about where you're at. Share with them the inner wrestlings of your soul and your doubts so that, you, so that we can pray for you and encourage you. When Paul preached his message, they were, they were receiving him with blessedness, with gladness. They were excited to hear the word of God. Do you find yourself in church now bored of his word, now tired of it, ready to go? Another thing that Paul will remind them of is number three, their great generosity to Paul and his ministry. Look at verse 15. It says, What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. The text tells us they were, they were willing to gouge out their eyes and given it to Paul. The message of the gospel moved them to great sacrifice to sacrifice themselves for Jesus, for Paul, for the gospel. They were willing to give even their own eyes. We only have two of those. They were willing to say, Paul, take one. Take two. Now, I'm not asking you to give me your physical eyes, but I am asking you to remember your sacrificial generosity to Jesus. There was no amount of time, money, 
sweat, or even sin that you would not give up for the Lord. Remember that zeal today. Remember the zeal of when you receive the gospel. Remember your love for the gospel and the word of God. Remember your sacrificial generosity when you came to Christ. Let those things remind you of your first love. Let the Spirit use those memories to keep you from falling away. Our memories of our past zeal for the Lord can often encourage us to persevere onward. Now, Paul will now contrast their past zeal with their current reception of the gospel and himself. In contrast to their previous zeal, now they count the gospel and Paul as a threat, an enemy to their current way of life. Look at verse 16. It says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul is in the way of their apostasy. He will not let them be led astray easily, even if his current pursuit of them leads them to view him as their enemy. This is the heart of a Christian who cares for the well-being of the souls of those brothers and sisters around them. We have covenanted together to do just that. To watch over not just our own souls, but the souls of one another. Brothers and sisters, we should know each other well enough to know what are the false teachings that can allure us and entice us away from the truth of the gospel and be willing to stand guard for one another and watch over each other's soul, even at the risk of being perceived as an enemy by that person. If you don't have those kinds of relationships with someone here in this church, I recommend you reach out to someone and cultivate those friendships. It is really encouraging to know that you have a friend who is willing to hold you accountable. Proverbs reminds us that the faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So far, Paul has revealed their true state of idolatry and its bond. He has reminded them of their past zeal for the gospel and compares it to their current response to the gospel at this present time. And now... Paul will warn them of their future state of their souls if they decide to continue to follow the Judaizers, false teachers. So our point three this morning, final point, is be cautious of the future state of your soul. Verses 17 through 20. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul warns them that their future state of their souls is enslavement unless Christ has formed them them. At the end of our passage this morning, Paul will do two things. He will, one, he will warn them of the true end goal of the false teachers, and that is to lead them astray so that they will become dependent on them for the obedience to the law. And number two, he will communicate his end goal of Christ being formed in them so that they will evade slavery and be free from their bond over them. Number one, he says, if you let them lead you astray, they will lead you away to enslave you. Paul argues 
that the Judaizers' zeal over them is not because they love the Galatians or want what is best for them, but instead it is so that the Galatians would be dependent on them for obedience to the law. As we look at the targeting of social media algorithms to hook our attention and keep us on our phone, or the popular New Age philosophies that teach us that life is all about ourselves, we notice that there are teachers all around us. An important question that we must ask ourselves constantly is, who are the teachers in your life? Who are you letting in your earbuds, your car stereos, your cell phones? Are they leading you closer to Jesus, or are they leading you astray from him back into slavery? Number two, Paul recognizes that Christ is not yet formed in them, and Paul is concerned for their future. Paul compares his concern like a woman going through childbirth. Just like a woman in labor may be concerned over the safe delivery of their child, Paul is concerned for the healthy delivery of the salvation of the Galatian church. They are at great risk of flatlining if they are led astray by the false teachers, and their future could lead to spiritual death if they do not return. Are you, this morning, in this stage? Are you secretly at the crossroads of your faith? Are you tempted to go back? Apostasy leads to death. If you do not proceed forward towards Christ, then you will perish. Those who are entranced by the spells of the false teachers oftentimes cannot tell that they are dying before it's too late. Let this not be your future this morning. Hear the words of God. Let them lead you to repentance of your idolatry and to remind you of the precious faith that you once held. May the revelation of your current state of your souls leads you to see your true reality. May your past zeal and the lack thereof today fuel you to cry out to God and ask him to set that heart aflame for Jesus once more. May the caution of your future enslavement and death deter you from continuing on the wide road that leads to destruction and to return you to the narrow road, which is Christ. Few words of application this morning before we end. Number one, be honest about where you're at with God. Take a pause from going through the motions and checking off the checklist and ask yourself, do I really believe this thing? Do I really believe the gospel? What is the true state of my soul? Number two, if you fear apostasy this morning, please inform one of the pastors here, Jake, Bobby, or myself, or a trusted member and share with them the idol that is currently gripping your life. Endeavor to fight those idols with the truth of the gospel. Number three, if you are a member here and do not think about, don't, don't think you are about to apostatize, look around you. Check in on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Please do not wait until they're already miles from the shore to pull out the life raft. By that time, it's usually too late. Watch over each other's souls constantly. This could be done intentionally one-on-one, -on -one, or it can be done in a community group setting. But do it, and don't do it before it's too late. Pray for one another. Ultimately, it is God who keeps us from apostasy. 
So take time throughout your day to pray without ceasing for each other. Pray that God will hold you fast. Pray that you will proceed into the faith and grow in the likeness of Christ and Christ will be formed in you and pray for maturity. Pray that the Lord will preserve you from the liar and the deceiver. Pray, 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 pray for one another. Number four, finally, the gospel keeps us from apostasy. Christ calls us to abide in him, to abide in him and stay in him. May he be the anchor of your souls, your mighty fortress. It is only faith in Jesus and his perfect work in which we will make it until the end. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray for every person here. Lord, sometimes apostasy is explicit super obvious, like in the church of Galatia. A lot of times it is secretly happening in our hearts. God, I pray that you would reveal to us all that is sinful and and leading us astray in our hearts and bring it out to the light. That we would be washed and saved from our idolatry and be renewed and formed in, in Christ. Bless us now, this morning, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. All sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com.